same thing with bodies. Like people, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. So help them see that diversity in bodies is actually normal and that there's not one right way to, way, way to have a body, I think is a really powerful lesson or tool that a lot of parents can employ. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Molly Galbraith of Girls Gone Strong. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, what's going on this week, and then give you a little bit of food for thought before we dive into the main show. So what is new? Well, first of all, we knew this coming back from spring break, but as soon as we returned from that little vacation trip, whatever you want to call it, spring sports hit in full effect. And in case you are unaware, Kendall is running in track. She's playing soccer. Kate is playing baseball. So literally every night of the week, we have something going on. So all kinds of stuff going on. This past weekend was actually opening day or opening weekend for baseball. So Kendall had a soccer game. They won. It was a grueling battle. Uh, against uh, one of these teams that we kind of always tend to battle against. So played really well, got a 2-0 win. Uh, It's good to see the girls starting to get their mojo back a little bit, some really good passing. Anytime you can keep a clean sheet in soccer, so anytime you give up zero goals, they call it a clean sheet if you're not in the soccer world. But I told the girls, anytime you can come out with a clean sheet, that's definitely a good thing. So, you know, 2-0 win there. Cade had his first baseball game. They won 9-2. Uh, again, obviously, it is not about the winning and losing when you're in second grade, but man, he had a good little game. The guy went three for three, got two runs batted in, uh, got a put out at third, made two actually really good plays at third. I mean, that's a long throw at that age, but he fielded the ball clean, threw the ball hard in the general vicinity of first base. So I feel like all in all, Saturday was a pretty productive day. It was also like the nicest day we've had all year. Of course, it was like 85, sunny. I mean, bordering on hot. Like, it was legitimately hot on Saturday. And then, of course, today when I record this, it's like 60 and it's been raining and it's cold again. <laughs> so sometime in the near future, Indiana is going to figure out what weather pattern it wants to be in. But that's neither here nor there. So successful sports weekend. Um, not as exciting as it sounds, but I did get a new car this weekend. Uh, definitely needed that. Um, you know, people always joke around like, oh, man, what... What kind of car are you going to get? I'm like, dude, you know, you get to a certain age and like kids, like it's just not as exciting as it was when you get something like a little two seater or you get something a little bit sportier. Like I got basically the same kind of car I had before. Um, It does look a little bit different. It's a little bit different model, but yeah, man, nothing exciting there, but it's new. So I'm going to enjoy that for a little bit. Uh, Sunday was a lot of regrouping. I mean, I feel like we sprint Monday through Saturday. So Sunday, uh, try and regroup around the house, laundry, meal prep, all that good stuff, um, which reminds me, I need to get my guy Trevor on the show, uh, the the nutrition coach that I've been working with. Awesome dude. Uh, I'd love to kind of detail that process and how that has been for me. I feel like it's been a very positive experience. Um, But, you know, if you guys are interested in that, definitely let me know. Let me, uh, shoot me an email, uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Let me know like, Hey, who do you want to hear from? Whether it's Trevor or somebody else, but I definitely want to bring him on because I think in this age of hacks and quick fixes, um, you know, 
I, I just really like the overall approach that I went through with Trevor. Uh, not quite where I want to be yet, but you know, down eight, nine, ten pounds uh, over the last couple months. Definitely happy with the progress, and I feel like I'm doing it the right way. I've learned a ton, and it's just been a very positive experience. So definitely going to get him on there. Uh, as far as this week goes, coaching. Man, like I've got coaching written in all caps for my outline because this week is insane. I got all my basketball guys in. Uh, I've got a new guy in for like a two-week stint, and then he's going to go do a little mini camp with an NBA team, potentially get himself either a two-way or a full contract. So really excited to work with him. He's a great young man. First session today, absolutely crushed it. I, I just love how attention-oriented these guys are. Really, it's about attention to detail. Because if you get people at a certain level, it's all about details. Like they have the basics down. They have the fundamentals of shooting, dribbling, passing, you know, shuffling, sprinting. They've got a lot of the fundamental stuff down, but there's details that are holding them back. So it was really fun working with him today. And hopefully, you know, the work that we do over the next couple of weeks pushes him over the edge and helps him, you know, get a two-way or even an NBA contract. So, you know, the last thing that I wanted to say here today, and it kind of carries off on this, but man, the thought that I always come back to, and I think something that people always say to me is, man, you're in such a good situation because you love what you do. And so I feel like maybe I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. Find ways to get paid for your passion. So I've been incredibly blessed in this sense because I've gotten paid for my passion all along the way, whether it's coaching. You know, I love to coach. I love being on the gym floor. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, you should be doing other things, or you know, and I am doing other things. Man, I love to coach. So I find ways to get paid to coach. Uh, I love to create content. So whether it's writing articles back in the day when I was writing for T Nation or creating products, you know, back in the day when we did the the DVDs and the manuals. Like I love doing that. I love creating that content because I felt like, yeah, I got paid for it, but there was a very fair exchange of value there. Like I always tried to give away more value with my manuals, with my DVDs, now with my cert than than what I took in. So if I'm you and I'm listening to this show, I'm trying to find ways to get paid for my passion. So a little bit of deep thought work necessary here, but I want you to sit down at some point in time over the next week or two. Don't wait too long because it won't get done. But in the next week or two, what I want you to do is sit down and just like a really chill environment, whatever works for you. Like I love, you know, just a good cup of coffee, some good music, and I like to brain dump and brainstorm. And I want you to ask yourself, what areas of fitness, if you're a fitness person, what are you most passionate about? And then I want you to think realistically, is this, am I doing that on a day-to-day basis? So for me, you know, I love working with people. I love coaching. I love creating content. So I've found ways to get paid for creating value in other areas of life, right? So if I'm writing an article, the people at T Nation or bodybuilding.com or whoever was working with me at that point in time saw enough value for my work that I could get paid for it. So it's a win-win. Same thing with coaching. You know, if I'm not helping people achieve their goals, if I'm not helping them see results, they're not going to pay me to work with me. So I'm passionate about it. So I have to find a way to deliver value to them. So this is your job. 
Like, what are you most passionate about? And, and here's the sad thing, and maybe it's not sad, but it's a real a realization that some of us come to. Maybe fitness isn't your thing, or there's a different area of fitness that you're not in now that you need to find a way to break into. So there may be multiple steps involved from, hey, I'm passionate about it to I'm getting paid for it. But I think it starts with this big picture overview first. You got to figure out what am I passionate about? What do I need to do to get there? And then you can reverse engineer that process. But that's my challenge for you here today. I want you to really think deeply about what you're passionate about. Because whenever you can do this, right? Whenever you can basically find this cheat code of, hey, look, I am getting paid for something I'm passionate about, something I would do for free. That is the cheat code to life, man. And I'm telling you, when you start doing that, yeah, it's work. And yeah, it takes time and it takes energy. But very rarely do you feel depleted from it. And that's, I think, that is a true hack. (laughs) It's not an easy hack. It's not, you know, detox your way to a 20-pound weight loss in 14 days. But man, that's a real life hack. Getting paid for something you're passionate about and something you would do for free can really help you take your game to the next level. All right, cool. That's enough for me. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with Molly Galbraith. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing. Spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insider's list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Molly Galbraith is the co-founder of Girls Gone Strong the world's largest platform providing evidence-based, interdisciplinary health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and the health and fitness professionals who work with them, including industry-leading certification programs and coaching. She's also the creator of the GGS Academy, which houses those certifications and has students and graduates in over 100 countries across the globe. And most recently, she wrote a new book called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. In this show, Molly and I take a deep dive into several hot-button topics, including body image, disordered eating, and social media. Needless to say, if you train female athletes of any age, you'll take something away from this episode. 
but enough for me. Let's do this. Molly, thanks so much for coming back on the show here today. It took us like, what, six years to get you on, and now we've had you on twice in the last six months. So I feel like I'm doing my part here, but start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, such a treat, Mike. I was just thinking that. So it had been a little while since you and I had gotten to catch up, and then we got to do podcast, hang in person podcast. This is it's great. Like, this is the best. So yeah, I'm co-founder, woman in charge at an organization called Girls Gone Strong. So Girls Gone Strong creates evidence-based, interdisciplinary, women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, and pregnancy education for women and the professionals who work with them. So essentially what that means is our stuff is research-backed, it's practical, we bring together incredible experts from different disciplines, so everything from strength coaches, which my background is as a strength and conditioning coach, a gym owner, trainer, um, registered dietitian, OBGYN, pelvic health, physical therapist, um, you know, behavior change specialist. We bring all these experts together to create this education. We do it for women and for professionals who work with women. So approximately 67 to 75% of people who hire a health, fitness, or nutrition professional are women. And yet there was very little women-specific education in certifications, courses, degree programs. I mean, if you're lucky, you might get a paragraph about a woman's menstrual cycle in right. your textbooks, right? There's just so little information. And so we create this education through free articles, uh, free courses, um, free downloads that we have. We have a free closed Facebook group with like 54,000 professionals in it. Um, and then we have two certifications. So one that covers coaching adult women across their lifespan. So that's going to hit on coaching, psychology, anatomy and physiology, exercise, rest, recovery, programming. So we're talking about things like body image, disordered eating, menstrual cycle, menopause. We even talk about things like Hashimoto's and PCOS and common medical considerations that impact women, but within the scope of practice of a coach or trainer. Sure. So we think that um, you know, health and fitness professionals are on the front lines of these really critical conversations with their clients. We spend more time with our clients than any other person on their healthcare team. Right. And so it's really important for us to know what our scope of practice is, but also to have an understanding of a lot of these topics that deeply impact women's health and understand who to refer them to. Um, so we've got one certification that covers coaching adult women across their lifespan and one that's specific to the pregnancy and postpartum period. So approximately okay. 85% of women in the U.S. will have a baby at some point in their life. And um, there's, again, very little information about that. If you're reading through a textbook, it's like, don't let her overheat. Don't let her heart rate get above 140, which is not even accurate anymore. Don't <laughs> let her lie on her back. Also not accurate anymore, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, so we have one that's women across their lifespan, one that's specific to pregnancy and postpartum. I'm just super passionate. I think that health and fitness professionals can just be absolute game changers in the lives of their clients if they understand how to help them. We can also, unfortunately, if we don't know what to do, right, there can be a negative yes. impact. And it's it's often unintentional, which is a tricky thing, which is why this whole education piece is important. You and I have both been in the industry for a long time. We've both done things that looking back, we're like, oh, that yeah, probably wasn't cringe-worthy. the best thing for our yeah, it wasn't the best thing for our clients. So it's not about like finger pointing or shaming. It's just about shedding a light on, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on with your clients that you might not know anything about. So now that you know better, you know, here's an opportunity to do better. Yes, I love it. I love it. And you are always working a million miles a minute. There's tons of projects going on. What is new since the last time we talked? 
who since the last time we talked, we just released a free five-day course all about menopause and it's for women and professionals who work with women. So anyone who um, has a period is going to go through menopause at some point yeah. in their life. It's inevitable, right? Again, we talk about things like body image and disordered eating. And while those impact a really high percentage of women, they're not impacting all of them, right? Anyone yeah. who has a period is going to go through menopause and there are pretty significant changes that can happen. And I think it's important for folks to recognize that while they're all, there are significant things that are out of our control, they're out of women's control. Um, there's also a lot of things that we can control and things that we can do to help this time in women's lives actually be a time of reflection, be a time of empowerment, be a time of thriving, be a time for them to, um, you know, really figure out what they want in their own lives. And so yeah. we just released a free, free five-day course on menopause that we're super excited about. We're really interested in, um, educating about it, but also kind of changing the narrative about it. So it's not just about doom and gloom, right? That it's right. that it that it can be like, hey, this is the time in your life when like like maybe your kids are out of the house, like you've got maybe you've got more time to yourself. Like this is the time when you probably give less shits than you've ever given in your <laughs> life about what anybody else thinks of you. Right. Like do you like this is your time to yeah. just like really st- step into your power, decide what you want for your life and um and make choices that align with it. I love it. I love it. Well, like you've already hit on a couple of times, we've already, you kind of mentioned social media, disordered eating, body image. These are all things I want to dive in on because I know they're things you're passionate about. They're things we almost touched on in the last show, but at the risk of like making it like a three hour Tim Ferriss-esque episode, I wanted to say, okay, let's talk pregnancy in the last one. Let's talk about those topics in this one today. So for starters, let's start very base level because... I don't know what the stats are, but I would venture to say a high percentage of trainers out there are males. So in other words, they are not females that are living in a female body. So with that being said, what do male trainers need to know about body image that they probably don't? Yeah, that's a really um, great question. So you are correct that the majority I saw, I think Greg Knuckles posted about this a while back. So the demographics are shifting. There are more women kind of joining the health and fitness industry. However, it just kind of depends on how you slice it. So when there are more women who are, you know, becoming group fitness instructors rather than like a personal trainer or a strength coach. So, so the numbers are, are evening out a little bit, but when it comes to like personal trainers, working with people in a gym, still going strength coaches, working with, you know, athletes and things like that, still going to um, definitely be predominantly male. So first thing is they have to be aware that body image is a struggle for a lot of women. So Mm -hmm. 2016 Dove global beauty and confidence report says 81% of women in the U S and 80% of women in Canada report being dissatisfied with their bodies. So it, which aligns with 79% of 10 year old girls or 80% of 10 year old girls have been on at least one diet. Um, 85 10 year old girls. Yep. I was actually on a walk with a friend of mine the other day and her, um, her stepdaughter was, she's 12 now, but I think when she was 11, when, um, she, was at her house and it, she said, what time is it? And they said 7 PM and she stopped eating and she pushed her plate away because she was doing intermittent fasting. And she thought she'd only eat between the hours of 11 and seven. Oh my and gosh. she's a, 11 years old hockey player, like really athletic. And she's literally already restricting her intake because she thinks her body needs to look a certain way. Right. So it's going to be really wow. tied into disordered eating, which I think we're going to get into in a bit. Um, and so sure we can hear like, Oh, okay. Women don't like their bodies. So what? Right. Well, there's 85% of women also report opting out of things that are important to them 
because they don't like the way their bodies look. And 79% of young girls report that as well. So that means young girls are not going out for the soccer team, raising their hand in class, running for class president, trying out for the school play because they don't think that their bodies look good enough. And so they, they have, there's some level of self-consciousness about that or lack of, um, of feeling good enough or worthy enough. And so it has this massive impact and media does play a big role. However, Dr. Leslie Sim, who I believe is the director of um, eating disorders at the Mayo Clinic says mothers have the largest impact on their daughter's body image, even more so than media and social media. And so it's kind of like, what does that have to do with coaches and trainers? Well, coaches and trainers can have a massive positive impact on the body image of their clients. And that can then turn around and trickle down to young girls. So if we think about the impact of that, if a young girl is literally not going out for a sports team or not running for class president, and then like she's literally opting out of her own life. Think about kind of the overall compounding effect yeah, of absolutely. the opportunity, the opportunity she's missing out on the development that she's missing out on. Right. And so, and then we see that escalate for women being less likely to raise their hand in a meeting or ask for a promotion or a raise, right? Or sure. put themselves out there for, you know, applying for a specific job. So there's just these huge kind of even like global and societal impacts that can happen when women are so consumed with feeling like their bodies don't look good enough. So as a trainer, male or female, what are some positive ways that you can start to build this image back up, right? Because, okay, 80%, that's four out of five women that walk into my gym are unhappy. Now, granted, to some extent, they've raised their hand by saying, hey, I'm in a gym. But mm -hmm. with that being said, what, what can we do as trainers and coaches to make it a more positive experience? Or maybe on the flip side of that too, what are some like definite hard no-nos? Like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we can kind of do some, some kind of do's and don'ts. So, and some of this might sound obvious, and at the same time, I mean, people who listen to your podcast, who follow you, Mike, are going to be pretty well-versed. They're going to be pretty evolved. They're going to be people who are constantly seeking good information. So some of this might sound pretty obvious. And also, I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard from women <laughs> who have had trainers do these types of things to them. So it starts out super simple not assuming what their goals are for them. So, yep. so often women will walk into the gym and the trainer will, will automatically assume that they want weight loss. They'll start talking about their nutrition. They'll ask them to track their diet. They'll want to do, you know, body fat measurements and girth measurements and all these kinds of things. It's like, Whoa, I came here because I want to get Build a strength, strength in my deadlift. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I want to, you know what I mean? I want to get a killer deadlift or I want to gain some muscle because I'm, you know, I want to be able to play with my kids or whatever the thing is, you know, I don't want to be in pain. I want to, I like to rock climb and I could get, gain some more upper body strength or whatever the thing is. So I think not assuming that weight loss is a goal for them, huge, right? So then you're going to pay really close attention, ask them what their goals are. Um, the second thing is particularly if weight loss is not a goal of theirs, not focusing on their aesthetics or appearance with the compliments that you're giving them. Mm -hmm. So, so often there, um, we, it's become such a compliment in society to tell someone like, Oh, you look like you've lost weight or you're so, you know, like your stomach looks so flat or you've gotten so lean or whatever the thing is. But the problem is, is when we focus our um, compliments, like mostly on their weight loss or their appearance does a couple of different things. One, it lets them know that their body is up for commentary, scrutiny, judgment. We've had a lot of women in our community say that they'll work with a trainer. Life will happen, right? They'll stop working with them for a while. 
they'll gain some weight back and they'll actually be too embarrassed or ashamed to go back to that trainer because they've regained weight and they think mm. that that trainer is going to judge them. Sure. So the more that you focus on praising them for their body getting smaller, the more they associate you being proud of them with the fact that their body has shrunk. Right. And so then if they've regained weight, then they feel ashamed. They feel like you're going to judge them. And so I think it's really important as coaches, there are so many other things that we can compliment our clients on, right? right? We can compliment them on their form. We can compliment them on their strength, on their consistency, on if they're working out in a group with other people, like, are they really supportive? Do they show up for their other like class members or teammates? You know, there are so many things that we can praise them for outside of their body. Now, if your client does have a weight loss goal, because that's always the question, like, well, if they have a weight loss goal. Right. And I, can I compliment them on it? So I, I totally understand that what we tend to do, because we do work with some clients who have fat loss as a goal is we praise them on the consistency and the behaviors that they're taking that are helping them get closer to their goal. So, so we'll the say process like, versus the outcome. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and cool. you can talk about like, Hey, you have this particular goal. Like, you know what I mean? You've gotten like, you know, this much closer to your goal or whatever, like you've been showing up consistently three times a week for the last four weeks. Like you're putting in effort when you're here. That's so awesome. It's showing up and helping you get closer to your goal. You're not saying you look so skinny, you look so <laughs> lean, like your right. body looks so great. Right. Um, and so I think that's kind of the distinction is praising the behaviors, the healthful behaviors that they're engaging in on a consistent basis and pointing out that it's helping them get closer to their goal, but not necessarily praising the specific outcome that gotcha. they're yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Now, as I was typing these up, I started to have this thought. And and when you mentioned the fact that you have 11-year-old girls that are already on diets, I mean, like, that's soul-crushing to me because, I mean, again, my daughter's 11 right now, and I couldn't imagine her going through that. So for those of us with young children and especially young daughters, how do we help them promote a positive body image? So you talked about the mom. I love that. But what can we just as parents, as adults do to help create a more positive body image for them? All right. How much time we got? No, <laughs> uh, as long so, as no. you need. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's so, so huge. And like I said, it, it absolutely starts in the home. So I think being really mindful of commenting about the body and, and food and what other people say about bodies and food around your kids. So my sister and um, her wife do this are so incredible. My niece is 12 years old now. She is like five, eight, like 145, 150 pounds. I mean, she's just built, she plays sports and she's super strong. And they have, since she was very little, put a boundary in place that no one is allowed to comment on her body. No one's allowed to comment on what she's eating. No one's allowed to comment about their own bodies in front of her. Mm -hmm. And so they've been super, super like boundary heavy with that. And so she hasn't, you know, heard other people talk about like she, my sister, my niece will go up to my sister and she'll grab my sister's arm. My sister's in a larger body. She'll grab my sister's arm and she'll go, I love the fat on your arms, mama. It's so squishy. So it's like, so to her, it feels soft and cuddly and squishy. Right. She doesn't equate fat with being bad. She equates right. fat with being a tissue on your body that some people have more of, and some people have less of, and there's right. no like moral kind of association or judgment with it. So they've been really careful about how they talk about their own bodies. They've been really careful about how other people talk about their bodies. They've been 
um, they will, you know, talk about like Ella being, you know, my niece being strong, or they'll talk about her being fast or whatever, but they don't, they're not commenting on like the size and shape of her body. So she right. doesn't feel self-conscious about it. They limited media. She was born in New Zealand. So she lived in New Zealand for the first five years of her life. They didn't own a TV. That's a little extreme for a lot of people. Totally right. understand that. But for the first five years of my niece's life, the only bodies that she saw were real life bodies, were bodies not in media, not in magazines. And, um, you know, they were not shy about their own bodies so that she could see what different body shapes and types look like. So I think we can be really careful about how we talk to them about their bodies. We can be really careful about how we talk about our own bodies in front of them. We can be careful not to comment on the way that their bodies look or the food that they're eating. I saw a woman post on Facebook the other day, a friend of mine and her daughter's like seven and she got her first pair of jeans. So I guess she's worn soft pants or whatever yeah, sure. for most of her life. And she was so excited and she was modeling the jeans in the picture. And a woman shows up and said, what a cutie, but she needs to eat a sandwich. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> my blood was boiling. I'm like, she is seven. Right. She is seven years old. And literally the commenting on what's wrong, quote unquote, wrong with her body is already starting. Yeah. And so, and so I think, yeah, being super careful about that. Um, and again, being careful, like they're watching every little thing that we do. I think most, I am not a parent. I am an auntie. I was a nanny for um, many, many years. So I do have some experience spending a lot of time around children. But I think we all know they're watching even when we don't know that they're watching, for right? Sure. That's, where they, sure. that's where they come out with those, you know, hilarious sound bites and things. You're like, where did you even learn right. that word? And then you're like, oh, that was me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so being super careful about that. And then again, I think talking about, um, what their bodies can do, talking about how strong they are, but also talking to kids about things other than their bodies, right? So not just right. focusing on that, talking about how brave they are, how kind they are, how you know smart they are, how funny they are, um, really varying the compliments that you're giving them so that you're not constantly talking about how they look. And then paying very close attention, particularly if you have um, kids of different genders, how are you gendering your compliments? Yeah. So, so many times young boys are told that they're brave, they're strong, they're fast, they're a good leader, they're whatever. Girls are told that they're pretty, they're sweet, they're cute. I like your outfit. I even find myself like wanting to compliment the way little girls look in their outfits. It's just so societally conditioned, right? right. And so um, <clears throat> in one of my presentations, I show um, this thing called Girls Life Magazine and it's targeted at girls ages like seven to 12 or 10 to it's, it's something in that relatively yeah. low range under the age of 10, nine to 14, something like that. I have to go back and look at it, but it literally said the headlines on there are like, wake up pretty. Um, are you sending him the right signal or are you not, are you sending him the right signal? It's yeah. Yeah. Boys. Are you sending him the right signals? Boys tell you what they want you to know. That's what it is. It's 10 to it's 10 to 14 year old girl. And I'm like, okay, 10 year old girl, are you letting this young boy know that you're sexually available to him in the right way at 10 right. years old? Like, right. it's just bananas. And your best beach body, flat abs, toned arms, lean legs, major confidence. And it's like, you look at the stuff that is being marketed to. And it, granted, those magazines are, you know, the covers are about six years old or whatever, but that was happening six years ago. And all, you know, this stuff has right. been ingrained into young girls and women and um, takes a lot of unlearning to do. So yeah, I think being super mindful of the media that they're consuming whenever possible, helping them understand that social media isn't always real. 
think it's really valuable to have that conversation and say, Hey, you might like watching this, but it's really important to know that like, that's what's a, that's called a filter or that's called a, you know what I mean? Right, like right. whatever the thing is, I'm saying, that's not reality. So when people take pictures or they're in movies, they can change the way that they look and whatever. Um, yeah. And then being mindful about how you talk about their bodies, how you talk about your own body in front of them, how you talk about food, all of those things can be very, very, very valuable. And then Haha, this is one that is incredibly nuanced. Okay. So one question that we get from moms is what do I say if my daughter says I'm fat? Oh yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a good one. So your child comes home and they say, mommy, I'm fat or mommy. So-and-so said I was fat. So the reaction that so many of us have is to say, oh no, honey, no, 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 you're not fat. Where did you hear that? Who said that? Right. What kids hear when you say that is fat, being called fat is bad, but you're not fat. So you made the cut. But if you were, that could be a bad thing, right? Mm, So when you react in that sort of like, (gasps) who said that to you, right? Right. And when, when being called fat is this really big insult or this like terrible thing that we can be called, then we are associating being in a larger body with being really bad. And then we're telling them, Oh no, you're still good because you're not that thing. Right. Right. It is a, it is a deep, deep, deep thing. So I think um, in those instances, you can ask questions. You can say like, Hey, where did you hear that? And when someone, you know, calls you fat, what do you think of? And you can have a conversation where you say like, Hey, you know, bodies come in all shapes and sizes. And some people have bigger bodies with more fat and some people have smaller bodies with less fat. And, um, you know, kids are so, plastic, right? Their brains are so plastic. They can learn things so quickly. One of my favorite things to do is to take different, um, like, you know, different avocados and showing how it was like some avocados have a little kind of thing in the middle and a lot of flesh around them. And some avocados have a big pit and less flesh. And you can take plants and trees and animals and these different things that show up in nature. And you can say, Hey, just the same way that avocado, you know, both of these things are avocados and they look different and one's not a good or bad, you know, same thing with bodies, like people, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. So help them see that diversity in bodies is actually normal and that there's not one right way to, way, way to have a body, I think is a really powerful lesson or tool that a lot of parents can employ. Yeah, absolutely love that. Uh, I'm also just thinking too, like my daughter got to write a program for her, like a workout program for her gym class and she just called it Get Jacked. So I felt <laughs> like I was on the right track, you know? Yeah, She's doing okay. Is- That is so good. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so let's take this a step further and move into disordered eating. And let's start with kind of a a big picture question here. Is there a clear cut definition of what is or is not disordered? There, um, not necessarily. So there are, if you think about eating on a spectrum, right, on one end are healthy eating behaviors. So that would be things like eating when you're hungry, you know, stopping when you're satisfied, eating a wide variety of foods, um, not having, uh, not being afraid of eating certain foods, right? Outside of things that you might have some serious like allergic reaction to or whatever. On the other end of the spectrum, we have clinically diagnosable eating disorders. So those are going to be things like bulimia, binge eating disorder, anorexia. And in the messy middle here, we have all of these disordered behaviors. And the tricky part with disordered behaviors is that they're not clear cut and they're often um, glorified by the media. Right. Right. So in some instances, like for some folks, like weighing and tracking and measuring can be a very disordered behavior. 
It could be something that they're obsessive about that they feel like, you know, maybe they won't go out to restaurants or they won't they'll miss out on social events because they can't count and, you know, track and weigh and stuff the same way. For someone else, it might be a method by which they ensure they're eating enough because they're someone who maybe, you know, when they listen to their hunger and fullness cues, don't eat enough food to be able to keep up with their activity levels. They fall into a negative energy balance when they don't want to. So there are some behaviors that are often considered disordered. So this would be, you know, avoiding, um, uh, avoiding certain foods or food groups when you don't have a medical reason to, it could be accounting, tracking, weighing, measuring, um, constantly, um, you know, being, a uh, managing your food intake and being like, you know, really intentional about what you eat, um, fear of certain foods, things like that. But again, there are some instances in which tracking, weighing, measuring, avoiding certain foods um, might actually be useful and not necessarily an unhealthy behavior. So as with most things, context is important. But the thing with disordered eating behavior, there was a 2008 survey done by UNC and Self Magazine, 4,000 college age women, and up to 75% of them reported engaging in disordered eating behavior. So disordered eating behavior in a lot of ways has become the norm. And we know this, we, almost everyone we know, at least almost every woman I know has tried multiple diets at some point in her life, whether it's, you know, Weight Watchers or Noom or keto or paleo or whatever the thing is. Um, And so, and these behaviors are often glamorized in health and fitness. And so we don't even recognize them as disordered. And it's easy to say like, you know, who cares if you count and weigh and track your food? But the thing is, is disordered eating behaviors are the greatest predictor of developing an eating disorder. And an eating disorder is actually the deadliest of all mental health conditions, which I didn't realize until a few years ago when I started diving into this a little bit more. So, and the thing is, again, as a coach or trainer, we can have an impact on this. If we are trying to give clients meal plans, if we're constantly talking to them about their weight, if we're shaming them because they're, you know, we saw a picture of them having pizza and whatever on a, you know, in a drink on beer on a Friday night, we're telling them we're going to punish them with exercise. I heard this horror story of a woman whose gym was next to a donut place. And if the trainer saw anyone go in and get a donut, he would punish them with burpees when they, when they came into the gym. Right. So if we're, yeah, if we're doing anything like that, if we're saying like, come on, push it on this last set so you can, you know, eat that pizza guilt-free tonight or whatever that you can tell. I like pizza a lot. Um, (laughs) And we are setting them up to have a more disordered relationship with food. So I think it's really important again, for coaches to understand what's within their scope of practice as a coach or trainer, when it comes to talking about nutrition, I think it's really important for us to not demonize or moralize foods. And again, they're paying attention to what we're saying about ourselves. We don't even have to point fingers at them for eating pizza. If we say about ourselves, like, "Ugh, I feel so gross. I had pizza last night. Now I you know, feel fat or whatever the thing is. Right. Then they're like, Oh, I don't want them to know. I ate pizza last night too. Right. right. So same thing with kids. They're paying attention to how we talk about ourselves and our, and our own bodies and our own relationship with food. So being really mindful um, not to be giving, well, not to be doing anything outside your scope of practice, right. But not to be giving restrictive meal plans, um, not to be moralizing or demonizing certain foods, um, helping clients understand that um, dieting in general is not a sustainable kind of healthy behavior. So constantly restricting, whether you're you know, time restricting or restricting, um, you know, intake or cutting out certain food groups or whatever in general is not going to be a sustainable behavior for most people. So helping them adopt more healthful nutrition behaviors and um, helping them thinking about what they can add to their diet instead of what they can take away from their diet. All of those yes. things are going to encourage 
a healthier relationship with food for your client. And again, the other stuff on the flip side, demonizing food, putting them on a restricted meal plan, cutting out major food groups, talking about earning their food with exercise, punishing them with exercise for eating certain foods, all of those things can actually unintentionally encourage disordered eating behaviors in clients. So with that being said, something I'm also interested in, because again, lots of males, this probably isn't on their radar, right? Or they haven't really thought about this so much. So are there telltale signs or probably more likely red flags that we should be looking for as trainers and coaches when we think maybe somebody is engaging in disordered eating or maybe has an eating disorder? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, the disordered eating kind of red flags that you'll see come around them speaking negatively about certain foods or about themselves for eating, eating certain foods. So like, Oh, I was so bad last night. Like if they come into class on a Saturday morning, they're like, I was so bad last night. I had, you know, I ordered dessert and nachos or whatever the thing is they're right. talking about themselves as bad or what they did as bad. Um, that's going to be a telltale sign. If you notice that they have fears around eating certain foods. So if you overhear them talking about like, oh, I don't eat, you know, I don't eat dairy because I heard it, you know, it's bad for you. It makes you gain weight or whatever the thing is, right. um, or they're avoiding certain foods because they heard they were bad. Um, that can be a telltale sign. <clears throat> if you, um, if they're constantly doing like weighing themselves, that's another really big one. So if they come in every day and they're like, I was up, you know, 0.2 pounds on the scale today, what's happening, right? right? You notice that they're weighing themselves on a really regular basis. Again, someone who's weighing themselves once a week, or even it is possible to have a healthy relationship with the scale, even if you weigh yourself on a regular basis, particularly if there's a you know, you're an athlete or there's a certain goal you're going for, you're cutting, or you're trying to gain for a certain reason. Um, but if you notice that they're weighing themselves a lot and talking about their weight, they're making disparaging comments about their body and talking about how they are then going to change their diet because of the way that their body looks. So if they're like, you know, I've been working so hard and, you know, I've gained three pounds and, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, cut out all bread or whatever because right. of this. So talk about them doing that. They constantly talk about being on or off a diet. So if they're like, I tried X, Y, and Z diet for two weeks. And my favorite is it worked really well for the first two weeks, but then, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. And so it's like, well, you know, something only, only works, in, but you can't actually do it. It's not necessarily working, but if they're talking about constantly being on or off a diet, all of those are going to be um, red flags that you'll want to watch out for. And then of course, if there's any sort of like rapid weight loss or weight gain, um, if they, uh, a lot of women who have, um, clinically diagnosable eating disorders where their bodies are very small, they'll develop a really fine kind of, um, like hair growth actually on their body because their body is mm. struggling to, with like temperature regulation. So it's like a way of helping their body stay warm. So that's, um, that one's a little bit more, you know, like you'd have to get real kind of real yeah. close to see, to see what's good, to see what's going on. Um, and that will typically happen when it is a clinically diagnosable eating disorder and they've lost a significant amount of weight, but any of those other things that, language about food, the yo-yo dieting, the disparaging comments about their body, the moralization and demonizing of food, all of those things are going to be big telltale signs. Perfect. Okay. So last but not least, I want to talk about where all of these topics potentially meet, and that is social media. So I'm just going to jump right into the fray on this one. How do we enjoy the benefits of social media, right? Seeing our friends and interacting with people we enjoy and celebrating others without succumbing to the negativity and the, for lack of a better term, comparatization 
of ourselves against each other. Yeah. So comparing is a totally normal human kind of phenomenon, right? Like we're constantly sizing other people up, figuring out kind of where we are in the pack, what the hierarchy or the order is. So we're not going to be able to stop comparing ourselves. But what we can, a couple of things that we can do, one is curate that environment, curate our social media feed, and then two, um, decide how we're going to respond to it. So above all else, in any, anytime you're trying to improve any area of your life, for me, the first step is getting clear on your values. So I talk about this. I do a values exercise in um, my book, Strong Women Lift Each Other Up, where I walk people through finding what their top personal values are. And I help them discover what their values are and then reality test their values. Cause it's really easy for people to be like, Oh, my top three values are, you know, <laughs> family and health and whatever. And you're like, what are they really, you know, right. so you actually go in and reality test them to say like, okay, is this actually your top value? And then you rank them against each other, which is really, really hard. Cause you have to say, okay, if push came to shove and I had to choose between X and Y, like which one would I choose? Um, and so I help people get clear on their values, which for me has been, the most important game changer in any decision that I make in any area of my life or business mm-hmm. is this thing that I'm even with like my food and my exercise, like, is this aligned with my values and what I want for my life? We do uh, in our coaching programs and stuff, we actually walk our through, clients through finding their values and they find that sticking to whatever their healthy nutrition behaviors are, whatever their exercise behaviors are, is, are actually easier when they recognize, oh yeah, this is actually aligned with who I want to be in the world. This is aligned with the kind of human that I want to be. Right. Um, so that's pretty, pretty powerful as well. So for me, getting clear on my values is incredibly important. My top value is to make a difference. Um, in order for me to be able to make a difference in my life and my business, I have to be on social media. Like that is just part of the game, right? right. Um, and so- but what I've done with my social media and what we encourage our clients to do with their social media is to curate their social media feeds. Oftentimes we follow celebrities or influencers or fitspo people or whatever, because we think that seeing them is going to be motivating to us. Um, but the thing is, is if you are you know, a 52 year old woman who's going through menopause, filling your feed with images of 21 year old women who've never had children who have perky breasts and bums and tiny waists. And their job is to be on Instagram. And again, nothing against those women either. They're just in a different place in their life. That's probably not going to be super actually motivating to you. It's going to leave you feeling worse about yourself afterward. So I think it's important to curate our social media feeds. I encourage all of our clients to fill their social media feeds, not only with women of different ages, races, body shapes, sizes, ability levels, but also to follow women for what they're doing in the world, not just what their bodies look like. I mean, there are women out there running for office and starting companies and inventing things and advocating for access and all of these cool things. You can follow women for things that they're doing in the world other than what their bodies look like. There's evidence that suggests that we prefer the body types we see most often. So if your feed is filled with quote unquote real people with quote unquote real bodies, you know, people that that you are going to see what, you know, that is actually representative of, of people in the world, you're going to start to develop a more realistic perception of what bodies look like and in turn often become kinder to yourself. Mm. So that's um, a really critical kind of like 
here's how you can easily go in and curate. So it's like next time you're on social media, if you're following someone and you realize like, oh, I feel worse about myself after I look at their stuff, unfollow them or hide them or whatever the thing is. Right. Nothing against them. It just allows you to get to a place where you be a healthier version of yourself. Now, the idea is not to shield ourselves from things that ever make us feel bad, right? It's not right. about that. It's about curating and it's, we're spending hours every day on social media. It's just about being intentional about what we're kind of filling our head with and how we're surrounding, like what we're surrounding ourselves with, what our environment is like so that we can become a healthier version of ourselves. So there's kind of that aspect. Then there's the internal aspect, right? So we're curating our environment. We're curating our social media. We're also getting clear on what we want for ourselves. I think that um, one of the things I talk about in my book is actually like, how do we turn jealousy or envy into a superpower of ours? Like, what can we do when we notice ourselves comparing ourselves to someone else and we're feeling like, oh, I feel a little bit jealous about that thing, right? It's really cool to be able to say, okay, hold on. I'm going to pause. I'm going to get curious. I'm going to say, what is it about this person's vacation, you know, like luxury vacation, the Bahamas or whatever, that is making me feel like jealous or like must be nice. Right. Or whatever that kind of feeling that we get is when we see that. And it's like, Oh, okay. Let me get, what is it about me? And it's like, you know what? I haven't had a vacation in a really long time. And like, I would really like that for myself. And it's like, okay, well, why haven't I been on vacation? So you kind of walk yourself through these, well, I've been working too much or, you know, money has been a little bit tight and it's like, okay, is it, aligned with my values? Is it aligned with the kind of life that I want for myself to be able to do that thing? If the answer is yes, then it's okay. What do I need to change in my life? Where do I need to tighten my budget? Where do I need to set boundaries with my boss at work? Where do I need to, if I'm a business owner, hire someone to come in so I can take that week vacation, right? Instead of getting mad at them for having a week vacation, why don't I look inward and say, okay, what would it take for me to be able to do that thing? Right. And so, um, you know, if we see someone who got like a killer promotion and it's like, I'm so jealous of them. Well, are you willing to do the things that they had to do to get that? Because if the answer is yes, then okay, great. You have a roadmap for how to reverse engineer the things that they did to get that promotion. If the answer is no, well, the truth is like, okay, great. Maybe they have to sacrifice time with their friends and their family and their health. Are you willing to sacrifice time with your friends and your family and your health? The answer is no. Then maybe that thing is ultimately not for you. And so being able to kind of use these feelings of comparison or jealousy as a roadmap to figure out like, do I like what's going on here? Why am I having these feelings? Is this something I want for myself? If so, is it aligned with my values? If so, okay, great. What are the things that I need to do to get that? And if it's not something you want for yourself or not aligned with your values along the way, it allows you to create a little bit of space and say, okay, cool. Like good for them. I'm glad. I'm so glad that like, her getting that promotion and, you know, working really hard or whatever is the thing that she wants in her life. I want something a little bit different, but I can be super proud of and happy yeah. for her. Yeah. I think that's a big piece of it is being able to disconnect yourself <laughs> from what you're seeing, not be so emotionally tied up to it. And, you know, in some instances, well, first off, just as a general rule, don't follow people that you don't genuinely like. Right. Like, yes, don't I know that's, I know that's, weird thing I know that sounds silly, but like, don't follow people you like, don't genuinely like, if you're just following somebody to see what they're doing or whatever, it's weird. It's probably going to make you miserable. But like a, a great example for me is so our fr- mutual friend, Luca, right? Like Luca's an absolute machine. Like he's, I'm sure he's part cyborg and he runs <laughs> on bang energy drinks, but you know, I can look at him and just say, Hey, look, man, like, I I love what he is doing. Like that guy's killing it. He works so hard. 
I'm not willing to do that. Like I'm not willing to do 14 or 16 hour days. So I have to be okay with the fact that, hey, look, I'm not going to have the same results as him, but that's also okay because we have different priorities right now. We're in different places in life. So that's where you can say, hey, look, man, good for him. But you can also, like you alluded to, I use that as motivation at the same time, like in a positive way, right? It's like, look, Mm -hmm. he just gave me the roadmap. He went from 20,000 followers to 80,000 followers on Instagram because he posts three or four times a day. Well, I don't need that. And I don't want to post that much, but I could do one post a day. And I'm sure I'm going to see growth. So trying to find ways, like you alluded to, like like spin the jealousy. And it's not jealousy in, in mm-hmm. my case with him. Obviously, yeah. I love that guy. But like finding it and using it as a source of motivation to like spur you forward, I think is a way more positive way to look at it than just like, oh, I hate that dude, whatever. You know, like that yeah. gets you nowhere. Yeah, totally. I, um, yeah, I, I've done absolutely the same thing. So it's really easy to like, yeah, feel yourself. It's just like a little twinge. It's like, oh man, that's so awesome. You know, like right. I wish I could do that or whatever the thing is. And it's like, okay, cool. Is this something that I actually want for myself? Why am I feeling this way? Like right. it's always going to be about us and not about them. So I love that example that you gave of Luca. Cause that is so night and day, right? Like you've got two kids at home. Like you've got, you know, you've got your gym and your online stuff and and he is, he is like he said, an absolute literal machine. So to say, okay, well, here's the difference in what he's doing and what I'm doing, but here's what I'm filling my time with versus what he's filling his time with. And he loves what he does. It is yeah. so apparent that he is on fire for the way that he spends his time and the way that he spends his energy. And it's like, okay, cool. So we're going to have slightly different results. But if I wanted to do that thing, I can look to him and say, okay, cool. What are the steps that he took to get there? Yeah. And the other great thing about that and looking at it in that way is, look, like you don't necessarily have to figure it out for yourself, right? Like if you say, hey, I want to be the next Luca Hasavar, and I'm sure there's people out there that do, like just go hire him. You know what I mean? Like I want to do all the things. Great. There's your guy. I want to, mm-hmm. and again, pro- probably not the best example with a body image show, but like, oh, this, yep. this girl has this physique that I aspire to. I think I could do it. I'm going to hire her to try and help me. You know, like the blueprint, the eh, that was bad. The blueprints are out there, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of yeah. using it as a sense of jealousy or negativity, use it as a sense of motivation or aspiration and spin it around. And say, hey, look, this person can help me achieve my goals faster without the failures that they probably dealt with along the way. Yeah. And thinking about too, like what's going to be realistic. So um, a lot of folks might know if they follow my social media, I have Hashimoto. So I have autoimmune thyroid disease. I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. Um, I've had some adrenal issues in the past. I have some physiological conditions that um, a lot of women who have these have a difficult time losing body fat or being at a certain level of leanness. And I get a lot of questions from women because I am relatively lean and muscular. I get a lot of questions from women like, you have Hashimoto's and PCOS. How can I look like you? And it's like, you know, the answer might not be what you expect. Number one, you look at a photo of my mom at 35 after she had three kids and she looks like GI Jane. Like she was, <laughs> she was an aerobics instructor. She taught two 90 minute aerobics classes back to back with a 10 minute smoke break in between. And she was jacked as all get She taught aerobics and her arms are shredded, right? right? She has this flat stomach, tiny waist, whatever. So you look at my genetics, right? You look at what my mom looked like. You then look at the fact that I don't have kids. I own my own business. I am, I work a lot, but I'm relatively in control of my schedule. Right. It is part of my quote unquote job, essentially 
like, or at least doesn't conflict with my job to go to the gym on a regular basis, to go hiking, to go for walks, to like, I am privileged enough to have access to fresh foods. And I have, you know, I have the geographic and financial access to those things. Like part of parts of the reason that my body quote unquote looks how it does while having Hashimoto's and PCOS, I have a great doctor that that understands me. He has Hashimoto's himself. He's like, you know, helps me regulate my medication and stuff. I go to therapy. I get enough sleep. I don't have pets. You know what I mean? So (laughs) like, I don't, I'm not not having to get up to let the dog out at, you know, five in the morning or whatever the thing is like, the reason, quote unquote, my body looks the way that it does is this myriad of factors. It's not because I'm the most disciplined or I have all this willpower or whatever. Like certainly um, it is be, being in health and fitness is part of who I am. It's part of my my identity. And so I have a lot of internal motivation, but it's also, you know, genetics and uh, financial privilege and, you know, yeah. time privilege and like all of these different things that other people don't have. And so I think there's so many different things that we can do to get introspective ourselves about um, you know, what we actually want for ourselves and is, is this aligned with our values, but there's also important to recognize that there's so much under the surface that we don't know about, yep. um, within people's lives or bodies or whatever that leads them to be in a certain circumstance that's maybe different than ours. For sure. Awesome. Okay. Let's wrap up with a quick lightning round. Okay. I've got, okay. Some, I've got some fun ones for you. Let's uh, do it. Song you secretly sing in the car. Oh man. I don't know the names of any songs. This is so embarrassing. Okay, you know what I sing all that time is that um is that really embarrassing uh, uh song about Applebee's that country song that gets in my head. What? You heard that? I don't know what okay. song that is. But, okay, I'm not gonna sing. You, it. I was gonna it's say that. you gotta sing it now. No, I'm not gonna sing. Uh, <laughs> fancy like Applebee's on a late night. The Oreo shake with the whipped cream on the top two. I love it. Draws one check, girl. I got you. It's this really embarrassing country song. I but it will it. get, I, it will get in your head. Someone once asked me what my guilty pleasure was around food. I'm like, I don't have a guilty pleasure around food. My guilty pleasure is misogynistic country and rap music. That is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, so it. patriarchal and just ridiculous. And I just, I love it. I love it. Okay. Number two, what's the first concert you ever attended? Willie Nelson. What? <laughs> you know my dad's friends with Willie Nelson, right? I, I yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So Willie Nelson came. That's another podcast show. Maybe. Oh my Willie gosh! Nelson I just want Willie to, Nelson stories for like an hour. He, yes, he came to Kentucky to do a benefit concert for my dad when I was like seven, um, and then my second one was Farm Aid, and I got to be on stage with Willie Nelson, John Cougar Mellencamp, and Neil Young. Wow bananas i mean i was like back on the side of the stage like dancing or whatever the thing is you know right uh okay i love it number three what is your favorite hike that you're doing right now because i know you're you seem like you're out and about quite a bit so do you have a favorite yes i do it's a i'm not gonna i don't know if i should give the name because i don't want a bunch of people to take it because it's such (laughs) a good one um no it's it's at lost dog wash trailhead so i'm in uh, scottsdale arizona it's a six mile out and back so miles up three miles down 1300 feet of elevation. I have crushed that thing in an hour 24 before, but it normally takes me about two hours to do it. Um, and it's super awesome. There's a park, easy parking bathroom at the trailhead. And, uh, it's this beautiful gradual incline that basically warms you up on the way up and then incredible views. Huh? I love it. Okay. If you come to Arizona, we'll do it. We'll talk more about that. It's definitely on the radar. 
we need to break out of the monotony. We've been to Florida a couple of times now and our kids are at like the perfect age. Like, hey, let's go and maybe we'll do the spa or whatever, like the the resort for a couple of days and then hike a couple of days, see. There's a great big world outside of Fishers slash Florida. Indianapolis, <laughs> Indiana. Yeah. Um, okay. Last but not least, what's next for Molly Galbraith? You do Sleep. get breathing room. We talked and about this. You, yeah, yeah, you get a little breathing room, but but what's yeah. what's the next big thing? Yeah, so honestly, it's going to be staying relentlessly focused on our free education and trying to help as many health, fitness, and nutrition professionals as possible recognize the superpowers that they have if they understand how to coach women really well. I mean, that can sound kind of cheesy or cliche, but like I just truly believe in the power that we have as health, fitness, and nutrition professionals to have a massive positive impact on women's lives that will then ripple into all other aspects of their lives. When women, our, our mission statement is like, we create evidence-based interdisciplinary women-specific health, fitness, nutrition, pregnancy education for women and professionals who work with them because we believe when women feel strong, confident, and empowered in their lives and bodies, we can change the world. Yep. And so we think that fitness professionals have the opportunity to do that for women and that women when they feel strong, confident, empowered can change the world. So it's going to be doubling down on as much free education and content as possible, as much raising awareness about the superpowers that we have as coaches and the ways that we can positively impact women's lives. And then for coaches who want to take the next step and enroll in one of our certifications, doing the best that we can to, you know, continue serving them really well and, um, and helping folks get certified uh, as a GGS certified coach. And yeah. It's going to be staying relentless, relentlessly focused and doubling down on what we really think that we do well. And that's coach women and teach people how to coach women well. I love it. Well, I'm going to say it on the record because I know I told you, but it's been really cool to see your evolution. I love the message. Uh, the fact that you're doing so much for young women, especially now as a dad of a young daughter, like we need more people like you espousing and advocating for women of all ages and you know hopefully this next generation is even more boss level because of people like you so with that being said where can everybody find out more about you and all the great work you're doing yes i'll talk about me for in a second but i do because in case people didn't listen to my first podcast if they don't know um how we know each other mike <laughs> was actually my coach so i lived in kentucky for a long time mike was my coach i would drive up to see you on a regular basis you have been one of the most influential figures in my, um, yeah, in my coaching journey and my health and fitness, you know, understanding of how everything works. And um, so if you like and follow Girls Gone Strong, Mike has had an enormous influence on that. So I just appreciate it. I'm so glad you've always been so encouraging and someone that I've looked up to for a long time. And um, the fact that I get to call you a colleague now and a friend instead of yeah. just someone that I worship from afar <laughs> uh, many, many years ago is is still super cool and exciting for me. So thanks for having me on. Folks can find me. Um, so Girls Gone Strong, if you go to girlsgonestrong.com, we have over a thousand articles, over a dozen free five-day courses, both for women and professionals who work with women. Um, we've got our two certifications, which you can find on that website as well. The one that covers coaching women across their lifespan, one that's specific to pregnancy and postpartum. If you're on social media and you like um, to connect over there, I'm at the Molly Galbraith and we're also at the Girls Gone Strong. We post almost daily educational content, 
occasionally some funny stuff, inspirational stuff, empowering stuff, but we're just really, really big on education and providing as much free education as possible and trying to serve people really well. Um, so yeah, check us out over there. And then if you're interested, if you're a book reader, I released a book last year called strong women lift each other up and you can just do a quick Google search for strong women lift each other up and Molly, and you should find it. Perfect. I will get all of those links in the show notes so you can find them easily. But oh, again, last thing, if you're a health and fitness professional, we have a closed Facebook group, totally free. 54,000 coaches in there, beautifully moderated. It's called GGS Coaching and Training Women on Facebook. We do a ton of free education and stuff in there as well. So that's also a cool place people can connect. Perfect. Well, like I said, I'll get all the links in there. But Molly, I know you're busy. You got a lot going on. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was great. Mike, such an honor. Thank you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Molly. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, it was great to cover some of these topics. You know, when you dive into social media, when you talk about disordered eating, when you talk about body image, I mean, these aren't discussions that we were having in the 90s and the early 2000s when I was coming up as a coach. They were probably there. I mean, I'm sure they were there, but they weren't things that we were actively talking about that we were conscious of. So just having these things on our radar as male coaches working with female clients and athletes, I think it just gives us a leg up on the competition. It allows us to have better discussions. It allows us to be more empathetic. And ultimately, I think it's going to help us get better results with the ladies that we coach. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a small favor. Wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now today and subscribe to the show. Doesn't matter where you like to consume, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, the Amazon store, anywhere you can consume podcasts, go there right now. Hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.